Wherefore, O bishop, appoint thee workers of righteousness as helpers who may cooperate with thee unto salvation. Those that please thee out of all the people, you shall choose and appoint as deacons a man for the performance of most things that are required, but a woman for the ministry of women. For there are houses whither thou cannot send a deacon to the women on account of the heathen, but mayest send a deaconess. Also, because in many other matters, the office of a woman deacon is required. In the first place, when women go down into the water, those who go down into the water ought to be anointed by a deaconess with the oil of anointing. Let a woman deacon, as we have already said, anoint the women. But let a man pronounce over them the invocation of the divine baptismal names in the water. And when she who is being baptized has come up from the water, let the deaconess receive her and teach and instruct her how the seal of baptism ought to be unbroken in purity and holiness. For this cause we say that the ministry of a woman deacon is especially needful and important. For our Lord and Savior also was ministered unto by women ministers. And thou also hast need of the ministry of a deaconess for many things. For a deaconess is required to go into the houses of the heathen where there are believing women, and to visit those who are sick, and to minister to them in that which they have need, and to bathe those who have begun to recover from sickness. But let a woman rather be devoted to the ministry of women, and a male deacon to the ministry of men. Now what did I just read from? In the Latin, the Didascalia Apostolorum, or as we say it, the Dictates of the Apostles, this was a third century document. A third century document where one group of Christians were writing to another to help them with their church ordinances, their church functions, and they believed that these were things that the apostles themselves had dictated. It's a very long document, but there's a whole section dedicated to the woman deacon, the deaconess, if you will. Just by show of hands, how many of you have ever heard the term deaconess before? It is in our Bibles. Romans chapter 16, verse 1, Phoebe is referred to as a deaconess. Now, what is a deaconess and is this biblical? Why is it that this church in such an early stage in development is writing to another church talking about women deacons and their function? Well, the text that the early church appealed to was not the passage that came up earlier in our letter in 1 Timothy 3 when deacons were being uh, clarified and, and their, their expectations were given. They actually appealed to what we're going to look at today. If you would please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Last week we began talking, Paul, forgive me, began talking about how the church and how their family are to take care of the widows in the church. And, and we talked last week primarily about how uh, families are required to take care of their own widows. First and foremost, it's the families that take care of widows. It's not to be the church's burden, as Paul says. But he then shifts to the conversation of what happens to the widow who truly is destitute and does not have family to take care of. And it is Paul's position then that, okay, well, then the church does need to take care of her. We see this, if you'll look just with me just very briefly at verse 16. Verse 16 is almost a summary statement, if you will, to the entire section on widows. As Paul says in verse 16, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So he goes back to his thing about how, yes, women and families need to take care of their own 
widows. But the church is to be burdened with that when there is no family members involved. However, the section that we're looking at today, it's very easy to be read as if Paul is going to give the qualifications for a widow in order to receive the church's help. That's the way I've always read it, and that's a very natural way of reading it. But it was in my studies this week that I encountered that almost no one throughout church history has ever interpreted that way. And I began to be convinced that they were right not to. So today we're going to look briefly into what did the early church mean by a deaconess and is the passage that they appeal to here valid to demonstrate that concept. If we would read together, please, verses 9 through 16, if you would follow along, for these are the very words of God. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying that they should, forgive me, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So Paul, last week, talks about how families should take care of widows. But he defines a, a true widow as one who is truly destitute. Those are widows who need to be cared for by the church. And so let me just ask you a rhetorical question. Let's say a woman of 57 years of age joins our membership. She spends a year or two with us. She's 59 years old. She was barren. She was never able to have children. And her husband dies. Are we as a church allowed to help her financially? Well, according to many, no. She gets no help from us. Why? Well, because she's not 60. She's not 60. And she's only been with us for two and a half years. So we know nothing about the legacy she lived, the, the way she walked in godliness. And obviously Paul is telling us here that the church is not to help women under 60 who haven't lived demonstrable lives of godliness. So the 58-year-old destitute widow in our midst gets no help from the church. I just don't think that's true. The reason we think that is because right after Paul talks about caring for widows, he moves into verse 9 and he talks about this concept of being enrolled. Verse 9, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than six years of age. And so it's, it is very natural to read, just given the flow of thought, what is this enrollment? What is this list that these widows are being put on? And it's very easy to read it as, well, this is obviously the list of care. This is a list of widows that the church is obligated to help. But I don't think that's what this list is. Rather, I think contextually, this text is talking about a list of widows who have dedicated their widowhood to the church. These are widows who said, listen, I've got no family, 
no job, I've got a lot of time on my hands, rather than remarry and try to find a house and re, I would rather dedicate my services to the church. I mean, who has the amount of time that I have? I'm free from all obligations, so I want to serve the church in some kind of official capacity. That is what I think is the enrollment. In other words, this would sort of be like the equivalent of a Protestant nun. This is not a Roman Catholic nun, because remember, Roman Catholic nuns are supposed to be celibate their whole life. And one of the requirements to be a nun for us is you had to have been married. (laughs) So this is clearly not what Rome means by that, but this is a group of extraordinary widows who decided to utilize their time and their skills to serve the church in some kind of capacity. Now, why do we think that that's what this list is? There's, There's really, if you wanted to break it down, there's really two reasons why I think this. And the first one is because this qualification thing that we get right away, it too much resembles what we read earlier in chapter 3. Remember chapter 3, Paul says, if you want to have elders, here's, what, here's their qualifications. These, the elders are not just people receiving care. These are people working for the church, serving the church. And so Paul says, you should not have people serving you unless they've proven they can do it. And then he moves on to deacons, and it's the same thing. The deacon and his wife need to have proven that they are able to serve you. And now all of a sudden we get to this enrolled widows and we get a very similar list. They need to be godly. They need to have proven it. We have qualifications just like we had for elders and just like we had for deacons. So it's natural to read this as a list of service, not as a list of those being served. Look at what he says in verse 9. I mean, this is a high calling. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. That's, that's fairly old. Like I said, I mean, people in their 50s and 58, I mean, these are people who have a lot of life experience and Paul still wouldn't allow them. Now, we think there's a bit of cultural understanding going on here. In, in Paul's day, 60 was typically the age that people were expected to retire. And so these are women who likely would have retired anyway. So these are women without jobs and without husbands. And Paul says, I want to make sure that they're not in a position to work and in a position to be remarried. So he sets that bar high, 60 years of age. And then he says that they had to have been the the wife of one husband. Does that sound familiar? Elders and deacons. One woman man. The husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. And now all of a sudden we get to this group of widows and they're being held to that same standard. That standard of faithfulness and monogamy. So they have to be 60. They have to have been faithful to their husbands their entire lives. A good reputation for good works. Elders and deacons. If she has brought up two children, has shown hospitality, so she has to have managed her household well. Sound familiar? Shown hospitality, sound familiar? Has washed the feet of the saints. This was a little literal. I mean, they did do that back then. But this was more of a phrase for just living a general servant life. She served people her whole life. She's cared for the afflicted. She's devoted herself to every good work. See, these are qualifications that are too coincidentally similar to the qualifications for elders and deacons. For me to say that this is what you have to do to simply have the church help you in your time of need. No, I I think it's logical to see this as an enrollment list of those who are serving, which is why the standard is so high. 
These are, this is a high calling. Again, it it is very similar to all of the qualifications that the deacons were given. But I think probably the strongest reason for not seeing this as, as just simply being enrolled to receive help from the church is what Paul goes on to say about younger widows. He tells us part of his logic as to why he sets the bar so high in terms of age. And here's, notice what he says in verse 11. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ... They desire to marry and so incur condemnation, having abandoned their former faith. How many of you, the last time you saw, unfortunately, a young woman lose her husband? Say, a woman in in her early 30s. Her husband dies. So she she grieves for about a year and then she meets a a great Christian guy. Great Christian guy. And they fall in love and they get married. How many of you think she just abandoned Christ and deserves judgment and condemnation? Well, isn't that what Paul says? Paul says younger widows should not be enrolled because they're young, they're going to get married again, and when they do that, they're going to abandon Christ. Wow! And that especially doesn't make sense because Paul actually goes on to say that his desire is that they do get remarried. Verse 13, besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying that they should not, saying what they should not. Verse 14, so I would have the younger younger widows marry. So here's what Paul's saying apparently. Don't put them on the list because they want to get married, and then they're going to deny Christ when they do that, so just have them get married. Again, the the way it seems somewhat natural is he's saying, don't give them any help, let them get married, and their husbands can help them. But but how do we understand this concept of them denying the faith? Some of your Bible translations in that verse might say something different in verse 11. It might say something like, refuse to enroll the younger widows, for in their passions draw them away from Christ. They desire to marry. And then verse 12, they incur condemnation or judgment, having abandoned their former pledge. I don't know if your translations say something along those lines. I don't agree with that translation, but I do agree with the concept. The word there for faith is throughout the New Testament used as faith. I, I think the ESV got it right in all other translations. It should be faith. I mean, it's, it's a form of pastuo, and it's used hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, and it's always translated as faith. This is the only time that some of the modern versions put it as pledge. It's true that in classical Greek, uh, the word does, can mean pledge, but the Bible wasn't written in classical Greek. It was written in Koine Greek. And we just, we don't have examples of it. So I think the word faith here is right. But what the modern translations are doing is they're trying to help us understand what's going on. And the likely way of understanding this is this, this enrollment of widows. These were widows who pledged their lives to the church. They pledged their services to the church and that required of them, subtly, it's not explicit, but subtly, that required them a vow of celibacy. They said, we will not get married. We will instead give our lives to the church. Put us on that list. And that is why when those widows do marry, Paul says they've abandoned Christ. They gave us their their lives, they pledge themselves, I will marry myself unto Christ, not unto another man, and I will give myself to the church. And then Paul says, well, what happens? Well, 
As it happens with all young people, they heal, they get over the grief, and they start to fall in love. And now they go back on the pledge they gave the church. And Paul considers that a heinous thing. They, they abandoned the promise they made to Christ and to the church so that they could run off and get married when they promised they wouldn't. I would submit to you that the only way to make sense of this condemnation and the abandoning of faith of these young widows getting married is if they had promised not to. If they had been put on a list of widowhood where they were promising to remain celibate and serve the church. And that's why Paul says, here's essentially what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I don't want young widows to pledge themselves into celibacy. And he gives a lot of reasons why. And a lot of reasons why this is terrible. And look at verse, well, he says in verse 12, verse 11, that their passions draw them away from Christ they desire to marry. So here's his point. You know, you go through something as traumatic as losing your husband, and in the heat of the moment, it might be easy to say, I can never love someone again. There's no way. I will never get married again. I will just, I will just give myself to the church. And so in emotion, in raw emotion, they make this solemn, sacred pledge and dedication to the church, but then the emotions die down. A year passes, two years passes, and now we have young women who were not gifted with the gift of celibacy who have promised the church they would be celibate. And so what does Paul say? Their passions are going to draw them away from the promise they made to Christ and his church. They're going to want to get married, and they're now going to break this pledge. So that's the first reason Paul says don't enroll younger widows. If a younger widow loses her husband, help her, grieve with her, but don't make her pledge herself to some lifelong celibacy. She needs to get married again. <laughs> she needs a husband. She needs a family. Or else her passions will draw her away from Christ. And then he says in verse 13, he gives additional reasons. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So what's he saying there? He's saying, we've got young women who the church is probably giving some kind of stipend to. There's probably a financial backing here, who they've got nothing but time on their hands because they've got no husband and no family, and they don't have a job, and it's now their duty to go around serving the church. And Paul thinks these young women who shouldn't be in this position with nothing but time on their hands and the church is supporting them, these are not going to turn into your normal house visits and sick visits. This is going to turn into gossip and idling, going from house to house and gossiping about people, talking about the church. And they're idlers. They've got nothing to do with their time. Paul's saying, I don't want young women who naturally should be getting married and raising children to have nothing but time on their hands. I don't trust them in that role. But again, what I think we see here is a commission to serve the church. And Paul is saying young widows have simply not been gifted for that role. They're going to want to get married. They're going to have, they're going to be idlers and busybodies that we just don't trust them with that role. So Paul is saying, rather, who are the people that you should entrust? Who are the women that you should entrust to be servants of the church in this way? It's the older women who have proved with their lives that they are not going to abuse this role. They've lived their whole lives serving people and raising children. They have proved their godliness so that we can trust them to be enrolled on this list. It's very similar to what we see in the deacons. Remember, the deacons were taught, don't make a, a new convert a deacon. He needs to prove himself. Why? Because we don't want to give someone that kind of authority if they're going to abuse it. And so Paul's saying with these younger widows, especially those caught up in their passions and their desires, we don't know 
how they're going to use this service we've commissioned them to. So that's why Paul says only enroll 60-year-old widows who have proven with lives of godliness that they are able and capable to take, whether it's a church stipend or some kind of commission of the church to help and assist ministry to the saints. Now again, this is not uh, some dogmatic division of the faith if, if, if people read it or see it another way. Um, but I just, I, I have come to side with the rest of the church that that is what is going on here. I, I think that 55-year-old widows can still be helped by a church. Uh, I think the most likely reading of this text from top to bottom is that Paul has commissioned, well, the church maybe did this sort of naturally, and Paul is maybe just affirming their decision. But the church said, we've got all these godly women with nothing to do. Their children are all gone. Their husbands are gone. But they're godly as all get out. Let's utilize this. And Paul says, okay, I'm okay with that. But let's not just go put in every widow on the list. All right? Paul wanted to rein it in a little bit. And all of this is a little bit of a divergence, but it's still within the context, if you will, of how the church deals or takes care of widows. And that's why, again, verse 16 really sort of goes back to his initial point that truly destitute widows need to be taken care of by their family. Or, forgive me, non-destitute widows taken care of by their family. Widows who are destitute taken care of by the church. But we, you might have this group of unique widows who are ready to serve the church. And if they meet these qualifications, we should do that. And that's why you see all the way up through the Reformation, even into Calvin's Geneva, they had what they called the Order of Widows, or some called it deaconesses. Now, if, if you read church history, these are not female deacons. In other words, uh, what the church did not do was take the qualifications for deacons, take that office, and allow women into it. The word deacon in the Greek is just a general word for servant, Anytime you serve the church, you become a deacon of the church. That's not necessarily the same thing as being ordained into that office, if that makes sense. And when you read all throughout church history, they make very clear uh, the, the order of widows never had hands laid on them. They were never ordained into the office of deacon. So even though they're called deaconesses, the early church still did not make these female deacons the way we would think about a male deacon. Rather, it was its own separate office. It was this order of widows. It was this own separate group of exceptional widows who were able to minister, and we see throughout church history, primarily to other women. And many in the church, as it was, has been very historically a lot more conservative than most American churches, they just found that more appropriate to have women ministering to women, women helping women, than having a male pastor go in and help women. So they found these women invaluable in their service. No, women were never commissioned to do any kind of teaching, and they were never really given any authority in the church. They were just women who were entrusted by the church to take care of people in need, to minister to needs. And as we read from the dictates of the apostle, even Jesus had women minister to his needs. And so I believe... Contextually, this text is not prohibiting Redeemer Christian Fellowship from taking care of a widow who genuinely needs our help unless she's 60 years old. I don't think God is telling us we can't do that. I think that this was in a unique office, an extraordinary group of widows who were able to use this new avenue, this new time in their life to bless and benefit the church. Now, this can be difficult to apply. Like, what do we do with a message like this? 
Right? Because as we talked last week, our context, our socioeconomic context is just so different. I don't think that widowhood is as much of a struggle to our churches as it was to the early church. Because again, there was no social security. There was very, there, I don't think there was any kind of like, uh, you know, retirement savings that people would build up to. That's, that, that, that society was in many ways much more patriarchal than ours. Religiously, not so much, but socioeconomically, it was much more patriarchal. So our widows in our day and age, my perspective is that they're generally more taken care of than they were back then. Whether it's through government programs or, um, or life insurance or uh, these other means or they've got families that we have the technology nowadays where it's a lot easier. We've got things like nursing homes. and So typically, the, the widowhood doesn't tend to burden the church, I think, the way it, it did back then. And so I think that's why maybe many churches don't find the need for this kind of office of women ministering to women. But I do think there are principles that we can take from this text, even, even if you disagree uh, with the interpretation I've given you. I, I think there's ways that we can apply this text in very helpful uh, means. And, and the first one is this. I would say this, that being older in age, being older in years, does not prevent you from serving the Lord in his church. Right? You might retire from work, but you never retire from Christianity. Uh, you know, John Piper uh, loves to write books about how he thinks the, this whole concept of I'm going to save and save and save so that I can retire and play golf for the rest of my life is a wasted life. It's a waste. To think of my job is to get to 60 and then I'm just done. I just sit back and relax and just wait for the good Lord to take me home. John Piper says that's a wasted life and I would agree. These widows here in this church, they said, I'm 60, my husband's gone, my family's gone. So rather than seeing that as a burden, as shackles or chains, they saw it as freedom. Okay, what can I do? Put me to work. How can I help? They saw this as a new avenue, a new opportunity to take care of God's people, to serve the Lord. We see this in 2 Timothy. Paul is in the later stages of his life. He's in prison. And what does he ask for to his companions who come? He says, bring me my books. I need to study. I need to learn. It doesn't matter that I'm about to die. It doesn't matter that I'm old. As long as I have breath in my lungs, my job as a Christian is not over. So I would call you, especially for those who are elderly in your years, to not see it as time to check out. My job is done. We have the privilege and the blessing of serving the Lord, of utilizing our gifts, of serving God's people all the way up until the day the Lord takes us home. Your age does not prevent you from serving the Lord. And, and, and that can be a difficult thing to believe because, again, I know I talked about this last week and, and I don't want to become that kind of a preacher who spends every week bashing other people in movements. So I want to be careful, but I just can't help but see American evangelicalism see older people as a burden. I just can't help but see that in the new church movements and the church growth strategies. Everything is all about get on board or get out of the way. The early church saw older widows as a blessing, not a burden. They saw older widows were able to strive. Younger widows were able to strive for a future where they could be enrolled on a list after having proven their whole lives how much they love the Lord and love his people and could continue to be utilized even in their 60s and beyond. And so again, I would just encourage you, you have gifts. The Lord has given you gifts. The Lord has prepared you and equipped you. 
Older people are a blessing to the church. You have wisdom that I don't have. I don't have no children. By the grace of God, we will, but I have no children. How much do I have to learn from the people in this church who not only have children, but even have grandchildren? How much do I have to learn from that? You have wisdom and experience. You have things to contribute and bless God's people with. So do not think that your older years makes you a burden or a hindrance to the church. Quite contrary, it can make you a servant and a blessing to the church. And then the other application I would say that we get directly from this text is not only does your age not prohibit you from serving God and his people, your sex does not prevent you from serving God and his people. Your gender does not. Now, it's important that I clarify because we live in egalitarian ages. And what that means is that we live in a day and age where churches all around the nation are, are ordaining women to the offer, office of the pastor. They're making women pastors and, and deacons. And I'm not saying that there are no distinct roles for men and women. I'm not saying that. There are. God has made that very clear in his word. But we never want to go so far that we swing the other way and assume that the church is for men. That women do nothing but be served in church. That is not the case. God has still given avenues and gifts to women to serve the Lord and to bless the church. If you read early church history, it's even in the New Testament, we see hints of this. The early church was largely women. Throughout the book of Acts, you would see Paul, he would go and he would preach and the text in Acts would say, and many believed not especially of the women. The church was overrun with women. At the end of Paul's letter, when Paul letters, when he often gives thanks, you know, send my thanks, send greetings to, those lists are filled with women names. Women were vital companions to Paul. The early church survived because of the presence and boldness and service of women. There's just no getting around that for anyone who might want to get around that. That ought to be a blessed truth to us, something we revel and proclaim with delight. But if anyone is embarrassed by that, then I feel sorry for them because it's this wonderful thing that women have been a vital role in God's church, even in Jesus' own ministry. We see women who, even though they weren't pastors, still found ways to serve the Lord and his people. Women were the first gospel evangelists, the first ones to run and proclaim, He is risen. Women can serve God and can serve his people. Old, young, male, female, we all come together, we utilize our gifts, and we serve one another. God has prepared us and given us different avenues for doing that. So please, do not feel that your gender or your age has excluded you from being a valuable tool, a valuable member in the life of any church but especially here at Redeemer Christian Fellowship. We want all of our members to feel valued and loved and taken care of. We are all blessed to be here, to be a part of one another. So I just wanted to briefly conclude our two-week sermon series, if you will, about widows, and just give us some concluding thoughts. If I had to summarize it, I would do it in these two points. Number one, God loves widows, and he desires them to be taken care of, first and foremost by their families, and then if not, by the church. That's Paul's primary point these last two weeks. God loves widows. He wants them to be taken care of. And he's given that responsibility first to their family and then as a backup to the church. And then as a bit of a side note, Paul also says that widows may dedicate their widowhood to the church, but this is a high and sacred calling. It is not to be done lightly. It is not to be done abruptly. But it is something that even the younger women in this church can now serve, can now 
orient their lives to this. Look at the qualifications there of those widows. What young woman reads that and thinks, I don't want to be that? We are given these marks of godly femininity for young women to look to, to strive for, and to hope that one day, if the Lord does for some reason widow me, I can still be used by my church. What a glorious truth it is. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you yet again as we've seen the last two weeks of your love for the orphan and the widow. As a consistent theme running throughout all of scripture, we see your desire that orphans and widows be loved and taken care of, that justice would be done for them. So may we be Christian families who desire justice and charity to be extended to the widows and the widowers of our families. And may we be a church that longs to help one another in that. May we be a church that loves widows and that takes care of widows when it is our time to do so. Give us the grace to do that, God. And may we also remember that by your grace through the blood of Christ, God, we who come before you as forgiven and redeemed saints, there is a place for us in your church. There is a place for us to be used, and we want to exhaust that until you take us home into glory. So help us to love you. Help us to love one another, God. Help us to serve you and to serve one another because you are worthy of our service and the kingdom is worthy of our service and your church is worthy of our service. You're good, you're faithful, we love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.